On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the ASC Quality and Access Act, mourn the death of one of the first ASC owners, discuss communication techniques, and in our focus segment, review cost-saving strategies. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. Encompass is devoted to helping healthcare facilities succeed through a menu of services that include revenue cycle management, credentialing and payer enrollment, human resources, and expense management. For more information, go to EncompassHDS.com. Welcome to episode 89 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for February 26, 2020, recording from Columbus, Ohio. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and I'm here with John Gailey. He is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. John is an author of a number of books about the industry and the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the industry leader in ASC regulatory and accreditation, Governance and Quality Improvement Oversight. As I said, we're in Columbus, Ohio. John's been doing a survey, and I've been working from the hotel room. And we're squeezing next to each other because we only have one microphone today. Uh, So hopefully it sounds all right. I wasn't thinking ahead. I got a hotel next to the airport. Yes. (laughs) It hasn't been bad, though. I think we're not really hearing too much, hopefully. Hopefully you won't either, right? (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, this is a little awkward. I mean, we luckily... We don't have a problem squeezing next to each other, but uh, we definitely miss our uh, our dual microphone setup. So we're back from our vacation. We were down in Hilton Head for a while, and uh, now uh, we're back to real work here. And by the way, Columbus is beautiful. This is such a, a nice city. But of course, uh, I don't know if you saw this. You didn't actually leave the hotel, but no, uh, there was snow. No, the airport. Oh, I did see the yeah. snow, yes. But, you know, it's just we're surrounded just by the airport. So I'll take your word. <laughs> it is. Columbus it's a nice area. Beautiful. Definitely a nice area. So uh, the biggest uh, news of the week, uh, while uh, I was on vacation, I did finish the survey guide, the 2020 edition. That's uh, So the last time I uh, updated that book was in 2017. We usually update it whenever there's a change in the interpretive guidelines. But unfortunately, we've been waiting so long for the new interpretive guidelines to come out that we felt it was time to get a new edition out to address all of the changes in the conditions for coverage uh, and other things that are happening, such as emergency preparedness and uh, the changes to the immediate jeopardy regulations. So I uh, really encourage everybody to look into uh, purchasing a copy of the Survey Guide 2020 edition. Uh, there's a link on our website. There's a link on the uh, show notes. And uh, you can just go up and Google the Survey Guide 2020 edition, and you should be able to find it pretty quickly. I am also, I was able to make a little bit of headway on the finance book. I've been working on a book about kind of an introduction to finance for non-financial uh, managers in the ASC setting, and it's about halfway done. I, I actually am redoing a book that I wrote about 20 years ago that uh, is long out of print, so I'm recreating the purpose behind that book. So it's a complete rewrite, of course, and I'm publishing it myself. But uh, hopefully I'll have that out in the next six months. Uh, it's not going quickly, but it is coming along. So we have sad news to report, uh, the death of Katie Chang, the founder of Gramercy Surgery Center in New York City. Katie died this past week peacefully 
surrounded by her family. Her story is a true American dream. Katie came to America at the age of 18, speaking very little English, but had a determination in her to succeed. She graduated from the University of Buffalo back in our backyard, and with hard work and a constant curiosity, she moved forward to achieve her goals. Katie developed the Gramercy Surgery Center in Manhattan that became the first Article 28 surgery center in New York State to be 100% woman-owned. I personally knew Katie, and she was an incredible woman. Our industry is truly better for all that she did during her career. And as we've been listening to the news, everybody's sort of up and down about the coronavirus or COVID-19. And as a matter of fact, we're actually recording this episode after Mm -hmm. listening to the administration's uh, speech on uh, Wednesday night here, talking about the preparations for dealing with the possibility of a pandemic. Um, so we will continue to report any updates that we learned uh, as we're uh, going through uh, the news here. So, And with that, Sue, you have an update. The World Health Organization has said that COVID-19 is still not a pandemic, but could still go that way. And, and I know most people in healthcare are probably expecting that it will. It's just the nature of it. So we're going to just watch and see and, and do as much as we can. But they have some training and educational videos on their website, and we're going to attach a link to that. And there's also a note on their site saying that there's been some scams out there. So it was kind of a scam alert saying that criminals are disguising themselves as working for the World Health Organization to steal money or sensitive information. So if you're contacted by a person or an organization that appears to be from the World Health Organization, just make sure you verify their authenticity before responding. And they had some bullet points there. It kind of goes along with what we usually say when there's scams out there, just really verify, and they're not going to ask for private information or personal information. If it's a legitimate. If it's really from the World Health Organization. So just be careful. There's always seems to be a scam starting with almost any new news that comes out. It's kind of sad. Uh, And I saw a great idea in the February issue of Modern Healthcare Magazine for improving communication between your sterile processing department and the operating room staff. They suggested setting up a buddy system where during a nurse or an OR tech's orientation time, they're paired with an experienced sterile processing department tech or vice versa with a new sterile processing uh, worker being paired with an OR worker. This allows the sterile processing department to see how the instruments are being used and the OR staff can appreciate the work that goes into decontamination and sterilizing procedures. They suggest that the buddies maintain an ongoing communication and even attend each other's uh, meetings. And this can be useful on each side being able to address any issues such as instruments being sent to the processing department with dried on biofilm, or the sterile processing department may notice some unused instruments that are frequently being sent with the rest of the instruments and may suggest a change in procedure, like having that particular instrument available but not in the field so they aren't using resources to clean uh, instruments that are not being used. So it's just a great way to make everybody feel included and part of the team and get some input from both sides. And I guess a point that I make here too is that buddying people up between different departments is a, is a good thing, not just uh, mm-hmm. sterile processing and the operating though. I think that that probably stands to give you know, a huge benefit. But having business office people work with the OR staff and pre-op and post-op, uh, having everyone in a small facility such as a surgery center get to know what the other people are doing really helps to build morale and improve communication between the different departments. Exactly. And in the February 21st Becker's ASC Review, They shared some supply chain tips, and this was one from Beverly Bryant, MSN, RN, the Administrator and Director of Yuma, Arizona Endoscopy Center. Um, She says, we have a dry erase supply board where anyone, even the cleaning crew, just anybody on staff can 
right what supplies are running low or are running out. This triggers a supply technician to track a previous order and order the item immediately. She also indicates on the board when the item is due to arrive or if it's back ordered. This helps with catching things in enough time to order them without having to pay for overnight charges. And she says she's also constantly reviewing the supply invoices to monitor price increases. But I just think that's a great way to have that communication because when you're rushing around and you notice things are getting low, it's not always easy. You think in the back of your mind, well, I'll let somebody know. But this way you can just jot it right down and you've got a good record of things coming in and out. And actually, in our interview later, Barry mentioned this, and I didn't realize he was going to when I was writing this down. So I guess we both think it's a good idea. So that seems a little old school. You know, I mean, here we talk about technology, but, you know, Mm -hmm. the importance of not forgetting that some of the old school techniques, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, can certainly work. So going back to a dry erase board Mm -hmm. uh, seems like a a step backwards, but let's not forget that simple Mm non-technology items like this could really help in your organization. Yeah, especially if it's placed in the right place. So when people are running by, they can just jot something down on it. Sometimes simpler is better. Right. So ASCA has uh, reached out and is still seeking support for the ASC Quality and Access Act. They want to thank everybody because of uh, the work that you are all doing on advocacy. There are more than 15 co-sponsors in the U.S. House of Representatives of the Ambulatory Surgical Center Quality and Access Act of 2019. ASCA has made writing to your members of Congress quick and easy using customizable form letters. And if you have not already done so, please take five minutes to contact your representatives and senators today to gain their support for this important bill. There is still a long way to go in in getting over 40 representatives to back the bill and adding on more senators in the Senate's version. Your advocacy is critical in getting attention to the and the support of policymakers. If you need more information, contact Adam Parker at the ASC Association with any questions. And let's not forget that this year's National Advocacy Day is taking place in Washington, D.C. on March 24th and 25th. Sign up today. Registration closes on March 2nd, so that's coming very quickly. Registered attendees will will receive a separate confirmation email providing accommodation and logistical information. And also, there is a uh, scholarship available to help cover the flight and accommodation costs for eligible attendees. Applications must be received by February 28th, which is two days after this episode drops, so uh, get it in very quickly. So let's take a short break, and we'll come back for an interview with Barry Denny and talk about ways to save money in an ambulatory surgery center. Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions is devoted to helping healthcare organizations succeed with a complete menu of customizable practice management services. The Expense Management Division of Encompass has maintained a 100% success rate of reducing expenses for hundreds of ASCs by an average of 20% over the past 20 years. Imagine what your ASC could do with an extra $50,000 to $100,000 per year. Could you hire new staff, purchase capital equipment, give raises and bonuses? Encompass will help your ASC reduce expenses and improve your bottom line. The best part is that Encompass will show you how to achieve significant savings without changing vendors or products or disrupting your day-to-day activities. The expense management program utilizes a contingency-based compensation model. Their only compensation is 50% of the actual verified monthly savings. Plus, Encompass guarantees that their work will not involve any more than eight hours per year of your staff's valuable time. Encompass even offers a $25,000 savings guarantee. Sleep better at night, knowing that Encompass is monitoring your vendors each month to ensure that you are getting the best possible prices. For more information, go to EncompassHDS.com, select Expense Management Program, and click the Learn More button to schedule a discovery call. 
the average surgery center spends about 20% of their revenue on salaries and wages and 25% on supplies. So we thought we would give you some ideas about how to save money. It's not a topic that we've talked about, actually, on the podcast mm-hmm. in the past. So we, we called upon an expert, Barry Denny, who is an expert in expense management, who's going to give us some uh, suggestions about saving money in the ASC setting. So let's listen to that interview. This is John Gailey, and uh, I'd like to introduce Barry Denny, Director of Expense Management at Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. Encompass is devoted to helping healthcare facilities succeed through a menu of services that include revenue cycle management, credentialing, and payer enrollment, human resources IT, and through Barry's Expense Management Department. Welcome, Barry. Good to be here, John. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm a big fan, and I look forward to sharing lots of value with your listeners today. Well, thank you so much. We don't tend to uh, talk an awful lot about expense management. As a matter of fact, I don't recall an episode where we ever have talked about expense management. So this is a great topic to bring on board, and it's certainly something that we can be assured every single uh, surgery center is going to be interested in. So why don't we just start with a very basic question. Why is cost containment so crucial to the success of an ambulatory surgery center? Well, John, there's really only two things you can do to increase your ASC's profitability. You can, of course, increase revenues or you can decrease expenses. You can only do so many procedures in a day. Uh, Most people just don't realize the enormous impact that cost reduction can have on your bottom line. So let's assume your surgery center has a profit margin of 20%. That means that for each dollar saved, that's equivalent to $5 in revenue. For example, It's very common for an ASC cost reduction project to yield $100,000 per year in savings. So it would have taken $500,000 in new revenue to achieve the same impact on the bottom line. So in this example, $100,000 in savings is equivalent to $500,000 in new revenue. So, you know, over a five-year period, we're talking $2.5 million. That's why cost reduction is so critical to ASCs. So we know that the three largest expense items in a surgery center are going to be the supplies costs, the personnel costs, and the cost of the equipment and and the building itself. Uh, Salaries are usually the highest, and surgical supplies and pharmaceuticals, as well as uh, implants, probably the in most cases the second largest. So, as you said, that's that's an area that certainly is ripe for uh, cost cutting. Now, most surgery centers by now have always uh, run pretty lean. So, where do you think that the most savings can be found in amateur surgery centers, given given the hard work that everybody already does? Uh, they we know on a daily basis to keep those costs down. Well, John, you touched on it a little bit. From my experience. of the ASC's savings is going to come from medical supplies, surgical supplies, and pharmaceuticals as far as outside of the, you know, employment costs and building leases and things. So that's 80% of the savings, medical, surgical supplies, and pharmaceuticals. But also we find big savings with medical waste disposal and medical gases like your oxygen, your nitrogen, your nitrous oxide, uh, those type medical gases. So those are the categories where we find most of the savings. So that brings us to the next question, which are what are some of the common challenges that an ambulatory surgery center faces with regard to cost containment? One of the challenges is an in-house cost reduction project is very labor intensive and time consuming. So that's a major obstacle. Uh, another, Another challenge is price creep. You know, you you may be getting a great price on that suture today, but a few weeks or months from now, it could double. So the price creep is a challenge. And 
the lack of extensive benchmarking data available to the ASC, that, that can be a challenge as well. Yeah, that's a very good point is that there really isn't a lot of uh, benchmarking data out there, certainly not a lot of good benchmarking data that specifically focuses on expenses. Even You know, I work with the Ambulatory Surgery Association, and we've been really struggling over the years to find benchmarks that can be used uh, universally. We kind of gave up on uh, benchmarking by, you know, expenses by uh, CPT4 code, for example, because there are such wide variations in different parts of the country. So the next question is, what tips would you give to an ASC that's looking to reduce costs, given what we've just discussed? So you wanted to apply the 80-20 rule to your cost reduction efforts. This is also known as Pareto's principle, uh, which basically says 20% of your activities will account for 80% of your results. So, for example, your to-do list, 20% of the items on your to-do list will lead to 80% of your results. So here's how we apply the 80-20 rule to cost reduction in three steps. So step one is you want to go to your accounting software and you want to run an accounts payable report that shows a list of your vendors and annual spend with each. So now you want to apply the 80-20 rule to that and you want to sort that list of vendors by annual spend. And let's say you have 100 vendors. Uh, you'll want to focus on just those top 20 vendors. So that's step one is you find the top 20% of your vendor spend. So step two, now that you know which vendors you're going to focus on, you need to run an annual usage report for each of those vendors. And then you sort that by annual spend. And again, let's say there's 100 line items for vendor A, you want to focus your, all your efforts on those top 20 line items. So uh, step three is now that you've identified your, your top 20 spins with each vendor, now you can run each of those line items through what I call the seven cost reduction filters. I, I have many, many more, but just for, for this uh, podcast today, we're just going to look at seven. So I'll run through those. Uh, number one, the first cost reduction filter is you know, is there a GPO contract available? Uh, number two, are you on the most aggressive GPO tier price? And those tier prices are based on uh, purchase volume. Uh, number three, is there a generic equivalent? Um, and this is for drugs. And for medical supplies, surgical supplies, is there a distributor private label? Uh, some common examples of these are exam gloves and gauze, bandages, tape, things like that. So each distributor has their own uh, private label brand. Number four is, is there another manufacturer that makes the exact same drug or supply at a better price? So you want to look into that. Uh, number five, are there any early pay discounts available? And we're going to, we're going to talk about some of these in more detail uh, later. But uh, and then number six, are you being charged the correct distributor markup? And that's a, a common thing that we see. The distributor is charging a, uh, a higher markup than they should. And number seven, can you negotiate a bulk purchase price for high volume items? And again, we're going to have some examples of that as well. And when you're referring to that, you're, you're talking about a price or a uh, discount that's above and beyond the GPO contract, correct? Exactly, right. And that brings up one of my uh, pieces of advice is, is always to recognize when you're talking to a vendor that the GPO price is the starting point for the conversations. That's correct. 
So we started talking about the GPOs or group purchasing organizations. What are some of the common misconceptions about GPOs? Yeah, so some people mistakenly believe that just by being a member of a GPO, somehow that magically and automatically gives them better pricing with their vendors. I like to compare GPOs with your AAA Auto Club membership. You know, you can carry that card around in your wallet, but that's not going to save you anything. It's only when you pull the card out when you're making the hotel reservations or whatever, that you connect the dots to get that discount. So I wrote an article a few years ago for the Physician Hospitals of America to illustrate this. I had a picture of Mr. Universe and Mr. Skinnyverse. (laughs) And I said, both of these guys are members of Gold's Gym, but which one is getting the benefit? Um, You know, until someone does the heavy lifting of going through the ASC's purchases and connecting the dots between the vendors and the manufacturers and the GPO, no savings will occur. And keep in mind that uh, sometimes the GPO price is not the best price, like John mentioned. Um, And I'll give you an example of that. We were working with a surgery center and we were able to save them over $100,000 per year on propofol. And that was above and beyond the GPO price. So the GPO price is not always the best price. Yeah. And I found that having run an ophthalmology center back 10, 20 years ago, uh, I always found that the GPO price, again, was a starting point, you know, but our volume was so much larger than the average surgery center. When we walked in, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of competition that the other vendors uh, we're anxious to get our business, and we were able to, to leverage that given that our volume was significantly higher than what uh, the average GPO client would get. So, again, big takeaway, always start with the GPO, expecting that to be the uh, the highest price that you're going to pay if you're part of a GPO mm-hmm. contract. And also getting onto that, Barry, really talk about the importance of maintaining continuous contact with you know your representatives at the GPO. That's critical. And uh Most people don't really understand how GPOs work, but keep in mind that your GPO rep is probably in another state, you know, in a cubicle far, far away. So it's critical to develop relationships with your GPO. Everyone on this podcast should know who's my GPO representative, and there should be constant communication uh, with those folks. But I see every day a huge breakdown between the facility and the person at the GPO that can help them. And so this goes along with some of the misconceptions is the reps that are out there, they have so many accounts that they're not going to have time to reach out to your surgery center to make sure you're connected to the different contracts. They're just so overwhelmed. Uh, For the most part, they're concerned with the big hospitals and things like that. So um, cultivating that relationship with your GPO is essential. Right. And as an administrator or nurse manager or the business office manager, you need to make sure that you communicate on a regular basis with your own purchasing manager to make sure that they are talking to the GPO. And I recommend that, you know, periodically, quarterly or so, that you try to meet with the GPO rep if they are available or, or in your community. Right. What are some of the common mistakes that ASCs make when it comes to managing their expenses? 
uh, one of the mistakes is making too many changes at once. You know, my philosophy is make friends, not enemies with your vendors and your staff and your surgeons and only suggest a change of vendor or product when it's absolutely necessary. Sometimes people get in their minds that to reduce the cost, I've got to do something different. I've got to go to a different vendor, a different GPO. You know, they think they have to turn things upside down to find significant savings. But from my experience, 90% of your cost reduction results should not involve any changes of your vendors, your products, and your service levels. And to that point, just threatening to move from one vendor to another or from one product to another often brings that to bear, correct? That is very true. Another mistake that is made is purchasing low-quality products to save a buck. Don't be penny-wise and pound-foolish. And uh, keep in mind that your surgeons in their training, you know, they were trained on certain supplies, certain suture, and that's what they like. That's what they want. So when the surgeon says he wants a 4-0 monocryl uh, suture on a PS2 needle in the pink and white box, he doesn't want you to give him anything else. That's what he wants. That's what he's trained on. So if you want to avoid a meltdown in the OR, <laughs> don't recommend a surgeon use a less expensive suture. It, it doesn't go over very well. That's right. And people are going to be surprised with this one, but I'll explain. One of the mistakes is putting things out to bid with multiple vendors. I found that this is a huge hassle and a waste of time for everyone involved. An experienced cost reduction consultant has the benchmarking data needed to negotiate directly with your existing vendors. And this is a far more efficient approach. I absolutely agree with you, Barry. That I think in uh, MBA school, they tell everybody that they need to, or in doctor school too, that they uh, they have to go out and get three bids. How many times have I seen mm-hmm. that? Even in policies and procedures, for example, it would be written that you need to get three bids before you purchase something. But you're right. It, it usually is a waste of time. And life and business is all about relationships. And if your current vendors, you know, they know you're putting things out to bid, you know, that could damage the relationship. And it's just so much better to just work with your incumbent vendors. Um, Although my philosophy is to make as few changes as possible, you know, sometimes it just makes good sense. Uh, For for example, an ASC reduced their cost of a high-volume injectable medication from $97 per vial to $4 per vial by purchasing a generic equivalent. You know, this was a 96% reduction, and it resulted in over $22,000 per year in savings. So uh, another tip, a strategy is, uh, and this one can be big, early pay discounts. They're overlooked uh, most of the time. So recently, an early pay discount was negotiated uh, for an ASC that resulted in an $84,000 per year savings. And ironically, uh, they were already paying their invoices within the required early pay (laughs) discount period. But they did not know how to connect the dots by filling out the two-page document required to achieve the $84,000 per year in savings. So this is an excellent example of how vendors may not volunteer savings opportunities. You have to know what questions to ask. Well, Barry, to that point, their invoice might actually say 210 net 30 on it. And if nobody looks at it closely, uh, they might not know that that it's already built in. It's already baked into the uh, the invoice that they have. 
Exactly. Uh, another strategy is if your cash flow is good and you have uh, a lot of extra storage, you can do a bulk buy of a highly used product. And for, for example, there's a surgery center that purchased a year's supply of a specific type of implant at a significant discount. So uh, that's a good example of bulk buy. You know, they knew that they're going to use this common implant anyway, and their, their cash flow was just excellent. So they figured they would just do a bulk buy on that. Now, here's a fun one. So sometimes a cost reduction strategy can be related to process improvements. You know, time is money, and sometimes process improvements can save lots of time and money. So here's an example. I was assisting a facial plastic surgeon that would apply this large head dressing to his patients. And although the patients were instructed to wear loose clothing with a button-up shirt, they it's funny, they would inevitably wear a tight shirt or sweater and sometimes even a turtleneck. And uh, this would cause a bottleneck in the recovery room that I found uh, quite comical. The frustrated recovery room nurse, uh, she's struggling to put this tight-fitting turtleneck o- on this groggy Uh, patient. And so the solution that I I came up with there is that we purchased disposable scrubs so that the patient would change into in the pre-op. And the patient wore those scrubs pre-op, during the surgery, recovery, step down, and wore them home. Mm -hmm. And many times would wear them back the next morning for the post-op uh, checkup. So that's one of those things that our patients absolutely loved. Um, they, they really liked and appreciated those disposable scrubs. That's a great idea. I, I'd like the disposable scrubs anyway. I mean, in, in some places where uh, you need a certain size or uh, you, you run out of something very suddenly. And that's also a good example of sometimes you have to spend a little more on the front end to save more dollars on the back end. And in this case, reduce that uh, bottleneck in the recovery room. Right. So another tip is limit the number of purchase orders created. One of the most common wastes that I see is ASCs placing too many orders too frequently. I've observed in the ASC that with just one of their vendors, they would create one to five purchase orders for that one vendor every day. And, you know, these daily orders incur shipping costs. And plus, there's a hidden cost that most people don't think about when you create too many uh, POs, and that's the administrative costs uh, related to the creating the purchase order, placing the order, receiving shipments, matching the packing slips and invoices, paying the invoices. You know, all that adds up uh, to about $100 in administrative costs. So you want to limit the amount of times that you're creating POs. Uh, One other suggestion I would make, actually, is that as much as possible, if you have a steady volume of cases, for example, I used to run an eye surgery center. We had the same volume of cases pretty much week to week. It wouldn't (laughs) vary that much. So we would just put an order in for a standing number of uh, packs Mm -hmm. that would arrive literally on a daily basis from our vendors. So uh, if that's possible in your business, if you have a predictable volume, uh, as much as possible, make those uh, purchases uh, on a regular basis and have that shipment done on a regular basis to avoid even having to worry about ongoing purchase orders. I agree. And for those things that are not so predictable, 
if you're not already, implement some kind of a simple communication system, you know, a dry erase board or a log book, a composition book, some place everyone can go where, the, okay, I, they see that, you know, such and such needs to be ordered. They just jot it down while it's on your mind, jot it down. And then you got a central place that the person doing the ordering can go to. You know, I've been in surgery centers where everybody on the team would input into that communication system so that nothing got overlooked. And, you know, from my experience, most surgery centers should be able to place only two to three orders with their primary medical supply vendor per week. So that's usually all that's required. So it's interesting, the, the surgery center that was placing one to five POs per day, we were able to reduce the, the number of purchase orders uh, with that one vendor, remember, from 1,000 purchase orders per year down to 300 purchase orders per year. So this saved the surgery center over $60,000 a year in shipping and administrative costs. So another cost reduction strategy is you want to retain good staff. Uh, Turnover is very expensive. And this is a a free thing that you can do. It's very simple, takes hardly any of your time. So believe it or not, the most common reason that people leave a place of employment is they do not feel appreciated. That applies to everyone on your team. If they don't feel appreciated, then they may go elsewhere. So, you know, say thank you, tell people you appreciate them. That goes a long way. And another tip um, that goes along with retaining staff is you want to use personality assessments. My wife's a life coach, and she's taught me so much about personality assessments. Um, They can help your staff understand how to communicate to one another better. Uh, Personality assessments are essential to hiring the right staff uh, for the right position, You can hire a personality consultant to administer and interpret the personality results. Or there's a free resource at 16personalities.com. There's a free assessment. You you take the assessment and it gives you um, the interpretation and everything. So that's a, a real, real good tool. And another cost reduction strategy And a lot of you are already doing this, but it's just a reminder, if you haven't already, label your shelves with the cost of each item. It's incredible how mindful your staff will become when they know how much each item actually costs Mm -hmm. uh, when they're pulling those things for surgery. Yeah, and, and nurses uh, love having yeah. that type of information when they're talking to the doctors about what, uh, what what's going into the procedure. They're much more cost conscious than the doctors are often. So uh, these next three or four strategies are really um, uh, some very underutilized and um, unknown strategies. So one is you can sell your unused surgical supply inventory. There are companies out there that will buy your inventory, you know, things like trocars and screws and plates and implants. Um, And on the flip side, you can also buy from these same vendors at a big discount. And another thing with your inventory is keep in mind that you can also donate items to charities for tax write-off there as well. And uh, along those lines, there's also resources out there where you can purchase pharmaceuticals from 
these companies that sell overstocked or near expiration pharmaceuticals at a deep discount. So that's a fairly new thing that, that I've found recently. There's even a new technology that's available that will virtually eliminate your need for medical waste pickup. So there's some, some real exciting technological advances going on. And a good medical waste consultant can point you in the right direction for that. Um, here's a fun one. We've been doing this for, for many, many years. Uh, since endoscopy patients only require IV sedation, and they don't really need 100% oxygen, an oxygen concentrator can be used in place of the oxygen cylinders. So this eliminates the cost of oxygen cylinder uh, refills and the delivery and the rental fees. So a 90% savings for an endoscopy center is common in the area of oxygen uh, when using oxygen concentrators. And the cost of those concentrators is going down quite a bit. It is. It really is. And we've had those concentrators going in one surgery center for probably seven years. And we've only had one issue with one of the 16 oxygen concentrators. So those things are just workhorses that will pay for themselves over and over and over again. Uh, But there is one caveat to that. If you use oxygen concentrators, you want to make sure that you have some backup O2 cylinders to keep on hand for emergencies or for those cases that would require 100% oxygen. So just keep that in mind. And another tip, uh, last but not least, is uh, hire a cost reduction consultant. There are experts in every area of ASC expense that you can imagine. And make sure you work with one whose compensation is based on results. Their only compensation is a percentage of the actual results. Very good. So, Barry, this has been fantastic. And now you're not a finance person by uh, by nature. Tell us a little bit about your background. So uh, I spent five years in the Navy as a hospital corpsman. I received the Navy Achievement Medal for working at Portsmouth Naval Hospital as their materials manager. After the Navy, I used the GI Bill to go to surgical tech school, then became a certified surgical first assistant, and then became an orthopedic PA. So, you know, as a consultant, it's a huge plus to have the clinical background when consulting with ASCs. So how in the world did you transition to expense management? Well, John, it's an interesting story. Over 20 years ago, I was working as a surgical assistant at a local hospital. At the same time, I was working on an advanced degree in surgical concepts. And, you know, while I was assisting in surgery, I noticed all these inefficiencies and wastes in the OR, and it drove me crazy. So I chose to do my class project on cost reduction strategies for the operating room. So I ended up sharing these saving strategies with the hospital administrator. She loved it, and she implemented most of my project. So I thought to myself, wow, I just saved this hospital a lot of money. Could there be a business opportunity here? So one of my best friends then and now is a cost reduction consultant to manufacturing facilities. So I asked him, I said, do you think that your contingency-based consulting model would work for medical facility savings. And he said, absolutely, let me help you get started. So he mentored me in the art of cost reduction, and he's still a mentor to this day. That's wonderful. Well, I really appreciate your time. This has been great advice for our listeners. And uh, well, we hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. 
Thanks, John. Love your podcast. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. You are never alone in the ASC industry. Many organizations are eager to provide an opportunity to keep up on all aspects of running an ASC. And in this section, we highlight upcoming events. If you'd like your event to be concluded in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCpodcast.com. Triple HC's Achieving Accreditation, which is an interactive, in-depth, two-day seminar designed to help organizations prepare for the Triple HC survey, is March 13th and 14th in Miami. If you're considering a change from IMQ to HHC, this is a great opportunity to do this. This year's National Advocacy Day, as we talked about, is taking place in Washington, D.C. on March 24th and 25th. Participation in ASCA's National Advocacy Day is the best way to build relationships with your members of Congress, advocate for your ASC and the ASC community, and network with other ASC leaders. The AORN Global Surgical Conference in Anaheim, California is March 28th to April 1st. We'll be attending the conference and recording a special episode there with interviews of speakers. We actually just finished some of the planning for that, so we're very excited about this uh, two-day event, which is, uh, even though ARN's conference is a huge conference mm-hmm. every year involving you know tens of thousands of people, this portion of it is uh, specifically oriented toward people in the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. Mm-hmm. The Florida Society of ASC's Quality and Risk Management Conference is April 16th and 17th in Buena Vista, Florida. The I.O. Association of ASC's 12th Annual Education Conference is April 17th and 18th, 2020 in Johnston, Iowa. ASCA 2020 is in Orlando, Florida, May 13th through the 16th. It's the ASC industry's most highly regarded and well-attended event. Attendees include physicians, administrators, nurses, managers, and owners of ASCs from across the country and throughout the world. At ASCA's annual conference, you'll find more than 50 educational sessions designed for ASC professionals at every level, nationally recognized ASC management experts, networking opportunities with more than a 1,000 of your colleagues, hundreds of exhibitors who can help you find the solutions your ASC is looking for, the latest regulatory and accreditation updates. So make sure you sign up to attend, and of course, we'll be there. Becker's 18th Annual Future of Spine and the Spine Orthopedic and Pain Management Driven ASC Conference is June 18th through 20th at the Swiss Hotel Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. The Florida Society of ASC's annual conference and trade show is July 15th through the 17th at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. The Ohio State Association Conference will be September 30th through October 1st, 2020 at the Hilton Columbus Polaris in Columbus, Ohio, where we are now. Well, that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. Join us again, and please consider becoming a patron by going to our website at ASCPodcast.com and spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, and Lori Rodericks. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. The ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all of the rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. 
This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. We would like to thank this week's sponsor, Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions. Encompass is devoted to helping healthcare facilities succeed through a menu of services that include revenue cycle management, credentialing, and payer enrollment, human resources, expense management. For more information, go to encompasshds.com. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.